recruiting cyberspace and welcome to episode five of double density podcast with your hosts brian and angelo you know angelo if our podcast was a child you and i would uh have already had the discussion about where it's going to school by this stage it's true we're uh we're there uh we're what five years old yeah well five years five five uh five weeks uh, i mean five five rotations of podcast yeah and podcast years were five Thank you for destroying um, my metaphor. Yeah, totally ruined that. I really appreciate you being a dream killer. I think it's the heat that's getting to me. Right, because it is, uh, it's not unseasonably warm. It's warmer than usual for this time of year, but I'm into it. It's fine. So we have a full slate of things we're going to talk about this week, including the first thing is that something um, that uh, uh, someone around you has noticed about uh, the way I interact with you. My wife uh, was asking me the other day when she was listening to one of our podcasts, why you keep calling me bro so i said it's more sarcastically than anything else it's it's kind of an affectation you've taken on uh sort of how uh, uh h3h3 uh ethan's uh papa bless that he keeps saying all the time i think he used to say it as a joke and now it just comes out so the last two times i remember calling you bro was in reference to rods and in and cutting in and suggesting that chupacabras were responsible for something and so yeah it definitely is a very sarcastic uh way that i address you but she was wondering i think she kind of heard it more than you actually said it it's sort of how you uh you know how everybody thinks uh people act crazy during the full moon and it's more a sort of confirmation bias so that's sort of how it was she kept hearing you say bro but you actually only said it a few times i guess i should start calling you bro more often or less often given these facts it doesn't matter. It'll just be a bro confirmation bias anyway. Uh, speaking of uh, things that are done or misreported or misrepresented, um, earlier this week, there was this whole thing about the MP3 being dead, right? So around the blogosphere, um, people were posting stories about how the format is dead, but it's actually not dead, right? It'll actually be better, right? From what uh, I've seen, uh it's not that the mp3 is dead it's that the last company that owned the patent on it the licensing they've kind of declared the pat the the license gone right so now anybody can just do what they want with an mp3 because it's so old at this point and uh, as uh mark warman pointed out on his uh, on his blog uh he says it's actually better that uh, the mp3 is free and open like this and as a developer of uh, one of the best uh, podcasting apps he kind of knows what he's talking about. Apparently, he said that 99% of the podcasts that he's gone through in his... Um, so it's the top 500 are, uh, are MP3s. The top 500, yeah. I think he said 99% of them are MP3s. Yeah, and of his like whole database, 92 MP3s, and of the top 599. That's insane. I mean, yeah, it's this weird kind of misreporting because the format itself isn't going anywhere. If anything, as you're saying, it's it's better. You can do what you want with it. You can modify it and you can play around with it. And you can sort of see if you can come on with uh, improvements of it, right? So a while back, I mean, there were uh, over the past like 15 years, let's say there are a bunch of other formats, right? So AAC, Ogwarbis, FLAC, but FLAC doesn't really count because it's not a compressed... Um, That's lossless? File format. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there are all of these have sort of popped up, but unfortunately the big problem, uh, as pointed on the article that you, um, have posted, uh, there is a compatibility issue with a lot of the different apps that support audio, right? So MP3 is pretty much your baseline, your de facto go-to, um, file format for anything audio versus something like Ogwarbis or an AAC even, 
because you know uh, Apple was using the AAC for iTunes for a while. They still do, I think. Uh, Apple Music streams AAC, which is actually good for streaming, right? It's a little more uh, efficient than an MP3 would be streaming. You can get a better quality at a lower bit rate from the way I understand it, right? Right, and the same thing with Spotify, who I think they use uh, Augmorbus, too. I could be wrong. That's such a weird name, right? That sounds like something we should be discussing in our paranormal segment. I mean, Alien Covenant is coming out this week, so we're dating the podcast. So yeah, maybe it has a tie-in with well, that. Well, yeah, we somewhere. already dated it by talking about this article and saying it happened this week, right? Right. But we, the, the nice thing about our show is that it's... Uh, I like to think that the things we discuss are more evergreen, because we don't really spend too much time on, on the news. We kind of pick up stuff that ta- that that's happening in the news we sort of talk about it and in, in our own way right and and relate our right. own little fun stories to it and as as i was mentioning before the funny thing is that um you know there's uh uncompressed file formats like flax right so flax really hit it big um strangely enough with the grateful dead bootleg training community so if you go on archive.org um it's like the largest hub of sort of gray area um flax files available uh, to anyone. Isn't it nice that uh, people nowadays can just go online and find all their favorite bootlegs? Back in our day, we used to have to go to little mom and pop rock shops. And and, and just to get a little peek behind the curtain, what do you use to uh, distribute our podcast? I use an, an, a variable uh, by trade MP3, but a lower um, variable by trade. So anywhere between, I'd say, 80 and like 112 kbps, really. Well, because it's just mono, right? It's not exactly, we don't need the stereo symphonic sound for a podcast of two dudes talking. We don't need stereo, and we also are not doing a music podcast, which I think would be an entirely different story unto itself. I think since it's mostly talk, it's a lot easier to do. And I mean, this is a far cry from uh, real media files who are encoded at 32 kbps and with a lot of uh, digital artifacting. Oh, real media. You remember watching uh, early streaming video and it was extraordinarily just pixelated squares everywhere and you kind of can make things out. I remember watching Big Brother like that in 2000. I remember trying to find early um, South Park clips. So another uh, <laughs> another uh, outdated media file is the .asf file, which was the Windows format for um, streaming, captured scre- streaming. So for example, I remember I was hunting down um, South Park clips. So South Park was on, um, Matt and Trey from South Park were on Jay Leno and they had a little bit of a... Um, an animated short to show or the cable ace awards or the uh did the parrot sketch for the comedy central tribute to monty python and so these were available in like various really crappy file formats including rm and asf well I, well I saw the original south park cartoon of jesus versus santa claus via cassette tape uh my cousin showed it to me uh, he had a, a copy of it uh I guess it was mid nineties, right? That it was like a weird little short that was making the rounds and people would get a bootleg copy of the cassette tape because you couldn't really share video on the internet at this point. It was uh, early, early days. I mean, that was the days of AOL online and stuff like that. The actual web wasn't even that completely open to everybody. So was it the first one or the second one? Because there's two of them. I don't know if you know this. I'm pretty sure it was the first one. Okay, because that one's Jesus versus Frosty. And the second one is Jesus versus Santa. So the first one came out in 92 and the second one came out in 95. No, it was the one from 95. Five. And that's what got them the deal. So yeah, the story goes that someone had already seen, um, someone had seen the first one and then gave them money to do a better second one as a Christmas card to be sent around. It's, it's pretty cool how they actually did that. It was uh, an early sort of example of viral video without uh, 
the viral part really uh, being able to spread so quickly, but it's still spread. That and it's just fascinating to me that like it's it's stop motion animation, right? So that's it takes a crazy amount of time to do. What I say what you will about them, they're extraordinarily talented. Oh, for sure. I mean, I despite not enjoying the last you know couple of seasons necessarily as much as the first five or six, I there's a lot to be said about the way that they work and um, the way that they're able to um, stay relevant and keep going. I mean, there are they're gonna do um, season twenty one um, in August. It's insane that it's 20 years old. And I, I kind of remember the first time it was on, I was uh, was after a band practice I had, I guess in the 90s, late 90s. And we, uh, it, in Canada here, it aired, it aired on Global. I can't remember where it aired in the US. Uh, Comedy Central. Was it always Comedy Central? Yeah. And then I, I kind of lost touch with South Park in the early 2000s. Sort of after the movie. It used to air Wednesdays 9.30 on Global for a while, and then it got moved Fridays midnight. Yeah, that really screwed everything up for me. And so I would tape that, and then after that would be Mad TV. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm taking it real back here. The the invention of the PVR was actually a revelation for me when watching TV, because it was so inconvenient to have to make sure your tapes were ready and your VCR was programmed, and then something would always go wrong with the programming, right? And you would never get the exact thing taped. So uh, PVR has made that a lot better. I mean, still, sometimes it does screw up. Uh, my wife tried to tape uh, Good Fight, and the PVR taped exactly six seconds of it. And you never figured out why? No, there was, there was no rhyme or reason to it. It seemed to be set up properly. But at that point, uh, we ended up uh, looking for it somewhere else. Well, clearly, it, you know what it, this is, right? It's the hacker known as 4chan doing this. Directly to me at my house? Absolutely. That's where all uh, that's where all our listeners are coming from. Double density. Welcome back here to Double Density, and we're going to talk about something that is both nostalgic for me, yet uh, made the news this week. So, uh, HP laptops uh, have been discovered to covertly have keyloggers installed uh, within their drivers. And uh, so this is an exploitable kind of thing too, and it's a very dangerous uh, thing to have. And so uh, some technical details uh, did come out explaining that the logs were dumped with reboots, but it's easily circumventable, right? So anyone who has a malicious bone in their heart will figure out a way to get these keylockers going. HP is a decidedly um, big company, right? Yeah, at one point, weren't they the biggest PC manufacturer? Probably, yeah. I mean, if that were told to me, I wouldn't say it was crazy. I think they were. They were one of the biggest, if not the biggest, at one point. At work, I have an HP uh, PC desktop, though not laptop, and and it's it's pretty bad. They they were showing an example in the Ars Technica article I sent you, uh, and it's pretty clear. You can see exactly what his password was that he typed in. It's a pretty terrible password, but that's besides the point. It's just to get a an example of how it works. And uh, you... I feel like password security is something we could talk about at a later episode, but I definitely agree with you that um, it's easily extractable um, information, right? Yeah. Oh, and the phone's ringing. Hold on a second. Please stand by. Our host will be back soon. Exceedingly unprofessional up in here. Sorry. That was... The, the dangers of early records. I guess you can keep that whole thing in there. Well, I'm, I keylogged the f*** out of that. <laughs> All right. So where were we with the keylogging thing? So 
to me, this is a very nostalgic thing to talk about because when I was younger, I used to visit a bunch of forums and a lot of script kiddies used to spend all their time trying to install uh, um, key loggers onto each other's computers to gain their passwords to screw with each other, right? So that was a thing that people, uh, you know, like 15, 20 years ago were doing for fun. And I mean, now it's for profit, right? Well, it gets pretty dangerous, right? Because now everything we have is behind some sort of password. And like you said, we'll eventually talk about passwords and password managers, but I actually don't know most of my passwords because they're in my password manager. So I have I have two passwords that I know, but they're extraordinarily long, so they'd be pretty much impossible for anybody to guess or to, to brute force. Well, the floor is yours now if you want to read them out slowly, as well as All your right, sin. So my passwords are P... A. <laughs> I feel like dollar your passwords sign, are all very narcissistic. Dollar sign. Like Angelo is a good guy. Yeah. No, they're not that. But you kind of know how my password scheme uh, goes because of how what the passwords are for our double density accounts. I make my passwords and I kind of use that with our, our double density passwords. So uh, a trick I learned, and I think actually Edward Snowden talked about this is the best way to make passwords is to to use four, three or four completely disparate words together and maybe put some capitals or, or, or lowercase letters in them and use that as a password. And it's pretty much impossible for anybody to guess, right? I'd like to think that it actually wasn't Edward Snowden, but it was Captain Lou Albano in a Mario costume in a dream of yours that told you to do this as like a vision. Like a tech vision. It'd be weird with his rubber band face. Exactly. Or his girls just want to have fun attire. Oh, Captain Lou. So key loggers, and then this week also in the news, the WannaCry ransomware case, which affected a lot of Europe. Well, and we had some weird issues at work, too. Uh, the internet was not working well for external sites uh, on Monday, on Tuesday and Wednesday. And luckily, most of my job involves our internal sites, but sometimes I have to go to external sites f- to find some uh, some information. And I just couldn't get to them. It was it was really buggy all of Monday of Tuesday afternoon and most of Wednesday morning. And apparently there was some sort of uh, phishing uh, thing uh, going around. There was a weird email that was, looked pretty legitimate, and it was uh, telling people that the Outlook web uh, service needed to be updated and to click on this link. And I'm sure a few people clicked on it because it looked pretty legit. To be honest with you, I uh, used to work where you worked, and the amount of people who are uh, very uh, savvy about these technical issues are it's it's a low amount unfortunately right so there's a high threshold for someone to fall for something it like is this, and right? i think that's one of the reasons that's preventing us from moving on to windows 10 because it would be such a difficult process for people to wrap their heads around moving from windows 7 to windows 10 i wish we would move to windows 10 because although it's not mac os it's still way better than windows 7 I completely agree with you on that one. Well, speaking of Windows and all things Microsoft, before the right before the show, actually, I had logged into Facebook to take a look at something, and um, at the top of the screen, Facebook had asked me if I was willing to uh, take a short survey. And the way that they worded it was very interesting. It, it's uh, they're saying like we're you know asking a small amount of people their uh, views on things. So I thought that was interesting the way that they sort of. Um, uh, use the exclusivity angle in order to get people to answer it. So I'm very curious to see what Facebook is up to. So I say, sure. And so the first page asked me about a bunch of uh, different things, including um, Oculus, WhatsApp, Microsoft, Instagram. Do I know of these brands? And the second page um, asked me if I'd use these brands in the last 30 days. So I haven't used anything Microsoft related in 30 days. So the third through seventh question were about Microsoft. But the weird thing is they were talking about Microsoft as if it were a person. Like, do you think Microsoft is fun? 
Do you think Microsoft is innovative? Microsoft fun? Do you trust Microsoft with your information? And the majority of the time now, I mean, I'm pretty much Mac only these days. Um, I'll use a PC computer once in a while, but it's it's certainly the exception and, and not the norm. So the funny thing is just watching Facebook or Microsoft via Facebook, I guess, asking me these random questions about itself as if it were like a living brand, right? The survey wasn't from Facebook. It was from Microsoft? I guess so. Like it used uh, like... Uh, like it was inside the web browser, inside of the the Facebook code, but it was asking me questions about Microsoft. So I guess they had paid them on their behalf to to do this. And uh, your last experience with the Microsoft PC wasn't great, right? Well, I mean, I'm. It was a very cheap Lenovo laptop with Windows 10, so I don't mind Windows 10, but it's a very limiting OS uh, for creative people. I guess would be the best way to put it. And and that's another uh, brand that had a bit of a. A problem with uh, keyloggers and uh, malware pre-installed. Questionnaire was given in response to some of the criticisms that they had, right? Um, come up over the past week because Microsoft um, was saying that they were very angry at the NSA for uh, having this exploit, but they themselves were aware of it and never patched it. And they had to bring uh, the Windows XP patchers out of retirement and retire and actually patch Windows XP this week. That Because uh, Windows XP at this point is a discontinued product that's not getting any patches or anything. They kind of had to go back. And, and that's where the problem happens, where I feel where I work, it's we're behind with Windows 7. But there are places that are still using XP. Yeah, there are a lot of so-called legacy systems that are still out there that get used very frequently. Like I'll I'll include in the show notes statistics that I found uh, last year. But yeah, overwhelmingly so. Almost the number of people using Windows 10 is very minute compared to people using uh, both XP and Vista. Vista was awful, by the way. Uh, I had to had to help somebody with their Vista computer once, and uh, it was not pleasant at all. Well, whatever. The only Windows OS for me is 3.1. Anyways, anything else is just... Uh... Oh, I'm confused. Now, anyway, my wife just got home, so we'll have to take a little break. Please stand by. Angelo has a family that loves him. Our hosts will be back soon. Welcome back to the Double Density Podcast. So both you, Angelo, and I have uh, had um, some issues that have sort of either annoyed us or bothered us this week with some of our, our texts. So I'm going to let you go first, then I'll get into mine. So it was more of a little family fun thing that happened. Uh, my wife had gone out and I had the two kids and it was it was rainy outside, so we couldn't really do anything outside. Not that I, I'm a big particular fan of going and play outside, but finally the weather's getting nice. So we usually do that, but it was raining, so... We had to get the kids to watch something together on the TV, and that's usually an ordeal. But they decided they both wanted to watch Moana, which we bought on the on iTunes, on Apple TV. So I sat them down. They're ready to watch Moana. Press the play, but press the play button. It went to the the screens. How they work on iTunes? It's basically like you put in a DVD. They they still have that whole splash screen where you can choose uh, the the featurettes and all that, and those all worked. But we went to press and start the movie content uh, not available at this time Mm, okay i did the normal thing i reset the apple tv tried to get it to work again content not available and then i noticed that none of my content that uh, of the movies that we bought not that we have a lot of movies on itunes none of them were available so uh, we we switched to netflix the little girl went to watch uh netflix on the ipad and he watched it on the apple tv because there was going to be a fight about what to watch 
so they finally agreed on something and Apple sort of screwed me. And uh, the next day I thought about it and I realized, oh, when this happens and a reboot doesn't work, sign it, sign out and then sign back in. And guess what? It just it worked. And it's funny because that had happened right after I sold my, uh, my old Apple TV. So maybe that was Apple's way of reprimanding me for not keeping my old Apple TV as some sort of religious relic. So you brought this on yourself is what you're saying. It's my fault. You didn't do the sign of the Apple um, that day, did you? No, I didn't. Yeah, that's a problem. So mine is a little bit more infuriating uh, and longer lasting. So for a couple of years now, every so often, I um, get random emails from the UK about services I've signed up for or um, things I've taken part in. And there's a British Brian Hasty running around signing up for things using my email address. So I got an email this week. Brian Hasty. Does he say his name like that? Oh, probably. I mean, I haven't confronted him yet, but I got an email this week from Virgin Media about internet installation in the area. So I don't know how he's going to get his internet, uh, given that I've got an email address. And I also don't know where to send these things to. Why don't you just ignore them? Well, I do ignore them, right? But at the same time, it always makes me laugh. Like the two weirdest things I've gotten were um, one was a a coupon for a body house. Uh, What? Because he had been a recent customer um, with a lady of the night, I guess. And they offered him 10% off his next visit to whatever. <laughs> and then I also got an email uh, from, it was really weird. It was from another son's father. So I guess the Brian Hasty in the UK has a child about the like their boys hanging out and going to camp or something. And the, the worries that they had about um, the weekend itself and who was going and like watching it with this boy was going to do because he's very dangerous. And so it was this really weird kind of insight into another Brian Hasty that exists. That's weird. That's really weird. So generally I ignore them, but in this case, you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny. Well, you should forward that father your uh, receipt from the body house and say, look, this is who you're going to hang out with. Are you sure about this? <laughs> It was just the weirdest thing, and I mean, I've been getting them since 2012 um, pretty frequently. So it's either for um, their version of Hydro-Quebec or their, um, yeah, this week it's internet installation with Virgin. So who knows? I hope, Brian Hasty, wherever you are, that you uh, get your internet fixed and you start listening to the Double Density podcast. Double Density. We are back, and uh, I would like to begin this segment by saying this is probably the inaugural segment of something I'd like to call Alien Cinema. Because uh, I feel like you and I have talked over the past couple of weeks about several UFO-related movies that we've watched or are watching. So um, the first entry is a film called Alien Abduction from 1989, a.k.a. the McPherson Tape. So it's a 65-minute uh, found footage film about aliens. It's about this family. It's a, it's a birthday party, and suddenly um, uh, aliens intrude on their evening in, and it's directed by uh, this guy, Dean Aliotto. So I remember seeing this several years ago on YouTube, and we're going to put it up in the show notes in its entirety so you can watch it yourself. But I made Angelo watch it, and it was very interesting to hear your thoughts about it, right? Well, so I, the first thing I asked is it was when you approached me about this, it was, I guess, later in the evening, and I, I asked if I should watch it at home now, alone in the dark in my living room. Uh, and you recommend that I didn't. And I guess I'm glad I didn't because it is sort of spine tingling is the right word. It's uh, even though I realize it's fake at this point, it's still the image of a gray alien as as fleeting as it is in this uh, film is always uh, 
creepy to me. I, I use that word a lot, but it, it that's the only way to describe those gray aliens and their faces and the bug eyes and their pale skin always sort of freaks me out. And you do see them a bit in this movie, spoiler alert. Uh, but I'm glad I watched it during the day on my lunch break. One of the, the things that I found hard was that it's it's hard to see, right? It's 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 not the best quality. It's it is shot in the uh, in the eighties, and actually, that was my first question to you when I started watching it. Uh, I sent you a message asking, "Is this actually shot in the eighties, or is this recent, or or what?" And w- you you explained that it was shot in the eighties, right? Right. So, uh, I mean, this goes back. So, episode two, we started talking about found footage films, and so I wanted to, um, and we talked about the Blair Witch, which was kind of like the watershed moment. But I had remembered, and I wanted to double check and rewatch the film before we got into this. So, it was made in 1988 by this guy Dean Aliotto. So, basically, what he did is he found a bunch of actors, and he kept rehearsing um, the movie like a play, and it's shot on consumer grade uh, video cameras, and the effects. Um, though a little bit cheesier, very effective for what they do. And I find that you get sucked into the movie very easily. Um, and it doesn't have a lot of the uh, usual sorts of leaps of logic you need to have in found footage movies. Like, how is this camera still working? Like, why? Uh, blah, blah, blah. So at one point they ask, like, why did you turn the light off on the camera? It's to preserve the battery. Yeah, that's kind of smart. Sorry, not that not the camera, but the light on the camera, right? So yeah. I thought there was a lot of interesting ways in which they addressed a lot of the issues. Um, here it, it was it started off pretty mundane silly questions and uh, banter between the family members uh, and then they went out and uh, what was the what was the reason they went out i can't remember they did they see a light out something something landed yeah, or they, something, they right? saw light and heard some noises so they went out and then they saw the whole thing with the spaceship which <laughs> knowing it's fake it was kind of funny but I can see myself uh, as one of those UFO convention goers back in the day seeing this and thinking it was real. And there's a reason for that too, right? That, that you'll probably explain after. But uh, the thing that really got to me though is after they saw these aliens, they came back. And is that when they decided to just have cake still? Yeah, have cake and, and play, uh, I think it was cards. Play or cards and, and dance, sing and dance and play the piano, I think, is what, what the grandma said to do. Right. I mean, I understand where they were going with that. And I mean, like, if you, they tried to dismiss the lights as nothing, right? And trying to go back to the party. But you as the viewer knew that there was much more going on than that. Well, yeah, because the, the guy, they dismissed the lights as nothing. But they they saw three aliens, like, hanging out and uh, pulling an E.T. and collecting flowers and stuff. And then they showed up at the house. Right. So that's the, the sort of the end game is when they come in, all the lights get cut and they, they, they proceed to grab these people. Well, they, that was at the end, right? But they, yeah. at one point they shoot an alien, right? And they yeah. pick up the dead alien body and put him in the room. Exactly. So who played the aliens? Do you know? Uh, children, actually. Huh. So there's three. So uh, let's, uh, what I feel like we can, I'll get into the story right now, right? So the, the movie was originally shot conceived edited etc and was bought by a distributor what had happened is that this movie is completed in 1988 everything was great and then there was a warehouse fire uh that the distributor at the distributor's uh, warehouse and if only a few copies of the movie uh made it out the door and no to no chains it was all mom and pop independent stores so then some industrious individual cut off the beginning and the end of the tape where there was credits and an explanation. And then that copy was the one that was like widely shared everywhere, including UFO conventions. 
So a lot of people in the early 90s were viewing this for the first time, and a lot of people, including a retired uh, Army lieutenant, I think, uh, testified to its veracity, which I think is very interesting because it is obviously indeed a hoax. But, I mean, back then you didn't have the Internet. You didn't – well, I mean, the Internet was in its infancy, but you didn't really have a lot of ways in which you can um, check this out to see how authentic it is, right? Yeah, and, and there we go back to the whole uh... – trying to put your trust in a trained observer whether the guy's from the military or not he can be fooled like anyone else just how uh just how scientists can be fooled by uh people claiming they have vsp or whatever and they they're just using magic tricks i am always into filmmakers who uh make a lot out of a little and i feel like this is very much the case of that right it's really impressive and it's it's an early it's the earliest that i can understand of any found footage type movie uh, over 10 years before the Blair Witch Project, right? And it's pretty effective because without those credits, and like I said before, if you're at a convention and you want to believe that there's aliens, you see this and it looks real. So even more ridiculous than that, though. So uh, Dean was given the chance to remake this film. So the film was remade for the UPN network, which is a Paramount network. In 1988, as alien abduction incident in Lake County, it was a more dramatic retelling of the same story, more theatrical, etc. And people still thought it was real after it aired multiple times on UPN, despite there being credits. Yeah, so that was presented as a movie, movie, not right, like one of those unsolved mysteries reenactment style um, films, feature length films. And did people think it was a reenactment of a true event? Or an actual true event that was caught on tape? People actually believed. So this is where my love of of vintage Coast to Coast AM slash Art Bell comes in. So I unknowingly had listened to an episode a couple of weeks ago that uh, went in depth into this. And so they opened up the lines and people were calling, swearing that it was the real thing that UPN had somehow ended up with these tapes. And if not, then UPN was trying to hoodwink the public into thinking this was real, despite the fact that there were commercials, despite the fact that there were um, credits, um, both at the beginning and the end. So I don't see how the network was lying to its viewers about what this was. It's so funny that these things happen, right? That they get so wrapped up in the, the, the idea that this can be real. And they don't even take a second to think about what's actually happening and what they're looking at uh, critically, right? It's just right away, let's believe what they tell us. And to a certain extent, we see that today, right? Still with uh, with all the garbage you can see on Facebook that people post uh, thinking is real. This is, uh, this is another extreme, right? There's no message here or anything. It's just, let's think these are real aliens that are, uh, that are being uh, carried around inside a house and at the end they come and abduct, abduct the whole family. I also think it's, you know, the tagline for the X-Files rings very true, right? Like, I want to believe. Exactly. So it's, it's easy to look at these things and see, like, and point to it and go, there's proof. And so, like, 20 years ago, or sorry, 30 years ago now, I guess, wow. when alien abduction first came out, the problem was being unable to verify the authenticity of the source, right? Exactly. And that's what I was saying before is that you were, if you're number one, you're at a UFO convention, you want to believe. And even if you're a more skeptical uh, UFO believer, which is at the height of me wanting to believe in UFOs, I was still highly skeptical, like uh, not as much as I am now, but I, I was still, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic that maybe this stuff was happening. But 
even at that, I was pretty skeptical. If you have no way of kind of researching all this, it's not like I'm going to be going to a library and looking things up on microfiche. Uh, <laughs> now it's it's kind of easy to just go online and you have so many resources available. The thing that still blows my mind, though, is even now with all the resources available to us, I'm sure there's some people out there that think it's real. Like, just go. Uh, we're going to put the, the link of the YouTube video in our in our show notes, but just go and peruse the comments. Just look at them. And some of them there will will like insist that this is still real. So I think further to that, we live in a really interesting time, right? Where like it's a lot easier to verify information, but it's also easier to fake evidence, right? With things like Photoshop and After Effects and visual modelers, right? Like, so it's easier to create a lot of uh, different, um, remarkably real um, pieces of media that involve the paranormal. And that made me think of that um, video that came out, I guess, almost 10 years ago at this point of those UFOs flying over Haiti. Remember that? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I'll, I think I'll put a link of that into the, in the show notes. But those look quite real. It still looks pretty impressive now, ten years later. So you can imagine what we can do now in a uh, with just even on just an iPad, you can do amazing stuff. I remember about ten years ago, um, and I've I've talked about sort of visiting uh, the above top secret forums. But ten years ago, uh, Linda Moulton Howe's Earth Files was reporting of a similar video to the Haiti video, right? Where it's just these figures in the sky are moving around and oh my gosh, it looks real. And it clearly wasn't. You can very easily sort of rationally tell yourself like it's the work of a couple of people or just a person spending time with um, 3D modelers just creating things uh, for a number of reasons like shadows weren't falling the wrong way, et cetera, et cetera. And there's this really weird thing where she uh, kept propagating this storyline that was clearly fake. But I mean, that's kind of the entirety of her most of her career beyond her uh, local reporting in the early 80s, right? Yeah, she's one that really wants to get this out there to think. Isn't she really big into cattle mutilations? Yes, absolutely. She's followed that. She also apparently claimed in the early 80s she was shown a secret uh, briefing paper. I think it was a presidential briefing paper <laughs> that revealed how extraterrestrial, so ETs, created Jesus. Well, yeah. Well, of course. Th- th- was there any doubt? Well, I'm making the sign of the, the apple right now. Mentioning that other video... Uh, the one you just said there about from Linda Moulton Howe. Uh, there was also that Jerusalem video a while ago that everybody yep. was freaking out over because it was from multiple angles. But every time I saw it, there was really nothing interesting to it at all. Or is it just me? No, I, I agree with you. Th- there was really nothing to it. I definitely agree with you. I mean, like if you go back to, uh, for example, if you go back to the 40s, right, where it was the quote unquote, the Battle of Los Angeles in 1942. That one's fun. That, that, honestly, I'm not sure what that is. Um, I'm very interested in finding out the truth, if it ever gets revealed. Because a lot of people say it's ETs, but I mean, it was um, a wartime, right? So who knows exactly what it was, if it was someone testing things, if it was the Japanese. But there's a lot of people who claim that it is extraterrestrial uh, in nature. And there is some film to back that up, right? So it was harder back then to, to fake something. Whereas today, I can sit down... And probably in like a, I'd say like a full day and a half's worth of work, I can give you like a pretty convincing like 10 second uh, bit of video. Well, there's a photo of the Battle of Los Angeles and going to that uh, thing where you're talking about, uh, what, what did you call this segment again? Uh, aliens, uh, alien cinema. Yeah, there, I was uh, trying to watch and I say trying because it was I, I gave up, but there's this whole series on Netflix about unsealed uh, alien uh, files. It's pretty terrible, but the last episode I watched, I think I got four episodes in, was about uh, 
aliens in Los Angeles and the Battle of L.A. and how uh, it could, uh, the military said it was actually a balloon, but there was no way it could be a balloon because they kept shooting at it. And the, um, the photo they took of it, it, it really looks like it's a UFO, right? The classic uh, dome-shaped uh, flying saucer uh, is caught in the lights and they're shooting at it, right? You've seen the, the classic picture of it, right? Yeah, for sure. The one with all the lights um, sort of like pivoted onto it. Yeah, it's a pretty cool picture, actually. If it's, I think it's probably the lights just uh, hitting uh, smoke in the in the right way. But because they, I think they went hysterical and just started shooting and shooting and shooting. And they were at one point they were just shooting in the air, right? And all the smoke that uh, the guns were creating made all these billowing clouds of smoke and the, the lights, the spotlights that were shining on it crossed each other per, per, perfect, perfectly and created that image is what, I'm, what I think it actually is. Taking a step back, though, um, about this, do you have a favorite shape of UFO? Like, are you one of those cigar-shaped people? Yes, it's, that, it's actually that one. So the classic saucer style? Yeah, I, I love that. It's the, that one and the one, I think it ended up being like a hubcap being thrown, but it's the one with the three sort of balls underneath. And then uh, it's it's on the cover of those, I don't know if you remember them, what they were called. They were those books uh, when we were kids, well, when I was a kid anyway. Of um, So it's, my, my favorite shape is, like I was saying, the one from the Battle of LA, but it's also the... Uh, the the UFO on the cover of the World of the Unknown uh, children's books about UFOs and there's also one about ghosts and stuff. I love 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 those books when I was a kid. So these are from I guess they might have been from the late 70s, early 80s, and I used to take them out of the library. They were the the most popular books in our uh, little tiny elementary school library. I had so the French version of that was available to me um, at my elementary school library. Do you feel like children are being indo- indoctrinated? Like children of a certain time are being indoctrinated by these things? Well, the thing is, is that now I I seriously doubt that this book would be in my child's library. Like I find when I was a kid growing up, people were a lot less careful about what books were available to children. Like I, there's no way. I've said this before about a lot of stuff, but there's no way I would have let my kid look at these books. She'd have nightmares. But I was looking at these in grade one and two. I remember a friend of mine and I had come up with this whole unified theory of that connected the the Bermuda Triangle to the Loch Ness Monster, to UFOs, to ghosts. I can't remember what the unified theory was at this point, but it was really sound, I think, for a 12-year-old. So to finish things off, how many little green men would you give uh, the UFO abduction movie? What's the scale? One, one, one green man to five green men. I'll give it a solid three because there were actually three little gray men in the movie. Great. I'm going to give it a four because it was realistic. It was logical. It was well executed for what it was. It did not stretch beyond its means. And it it was just the right length, right? So 65 minutes. I felt like it was a really good move to do. I'd like to give it a bonus reptoid uh, as uh, it being one of the earliest forms of found footage. I will accept that. I will also add the Reptoid in with a winking face. Oh. A, a winking Reptoid uh, for UFO, uh, 1989's UFO abduction. Alien Welcome back to Double Density. And we would, take, we would like to take a moment right now to sort of sit and think and ponder and reflect upon one of the great scientific milestones of the 1960s, one of the bigger... Um, scientific achievements that is still in usage today. Its usage is ubiquitous uh, from everything from CDs, 
to DVDs to fixing your eyes. And what, of course, we're talking about is lasers. So uh, on May 16th, 1960, Theodore Maiman, as part of Hughes Laboratory Research, uh, successfully demonstrated a pink ruby colored laser that transmitted information. And now we use them to play with our cats. We use them for everything. We use them to watch movies. We use them to fix our eyes. We use them in the construction of buildings. Hell, I mean, look at Insane Clown Posse. They don't know how magnets work. Do you think they know how lasers work? I'm sure they could figure it out if they wrote a song about it. I'm hoping they do. Anyways, we would just like to shout out Theodore Maiman, Hughes Laboratory Research. Thank you for inventing the laser. Double density. So this has been episode five of the Double Density Podcast. If you'd like to hit us up, of course, you can do that on Twitter. So we are on Twitter at double underscore density. You can find our Facebook page by either searching Facebook for the words Double Density Podcast, or you can go to facebook.com slash double density podcast, one word. You can also find us on Instagram at double density podcast, one word. We're on all the major podcasting sites, right? So iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, et cetera, et cetera. So if you can and you are subscribed to us via YouTube, uh, iTunes, please leave us a review or hell, even just leave us a recipe. We'd be more than happy um, to see a recipe under our uh, review portion um, on iTunes podcast. I think we'd cook it and eat it on air. We would definitely do a mukbang episode. All right. We'd have to do that in person, though. I mean, we're already well on our way to, to planning this in-person kind of thing, right? So I feel like mukbang is the next logical step for the Double Density podcast. So once again, this has been Episode 5 with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. And uh, tune in next week as I describe my favorite Halloween movies in reverse order. See ya. Bye. Bye. Well, held that for a while. <laughs>